0: I am Maureen of Chicago. I am Megan, daughter of Michael and Lisa. And, and we, we are, are burdened, burdened with Glorious, glorious podcast. podcast. Welcome back to the show. We talk about our favorite trickster god, Loki, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. And uh, yes, I realize it has probably been the longest uh, between episodes that we've done, but obviously Christmas
1: and the whole pandemic thing tends to uh, skew priorities, <laughs> Yeah, full disclosure, everybody. I mean, I imagine a lot of you are probably already like occasionally poking into our Twitters and stuff like that. But in case you haven't noticed the descent into insanity that I went through in the last two weeks, um, I was actually at home, literally until today, from the evening of from the evening of December twenty third until today, with COVID. Um, I hit my I t- hit my ten day last monday but um because i've been so tired and because my sleep schedule has just gone off a cliff I, I actually have to kind of work on fixing that tonight after we record um this was the first day that i managed to actually make it out of the house because i needed to go pick one of my nanny kids up from school and you know what in the spirit of the season you know we're we're supposed to have Great compassion for others, especially this time of year. It's technically still the Christmas season. Oh
0: yeah, I, I mean we recorded yeah. this on January fifth, so technically twelve days of Christmas still legit.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and for that matter, you know, Orthodox Christmas is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we have any. I don't know if we have any Orthodox listeners. <laughs> but um, I have to admit that as as much as this has just been, like. A continual long dark night of the soul for me to be honest <laughs> because um, it was literally just me and my cats in my apartment for nearly two weeks my roommates were both away for the holidays um, one of them was already away to be with family and the other one pretty much as soon as it became clear that I was both positive and actually like experiencing a breakthrough infection um, he basically holed up with his girlfriend the whole time, which I don't blame him for. But on the other hand, I started feeling a little bit like I was living in a space capsule. Mm. Um, I, I actually consider myself lucky that I have a relatively large apartment, or at the very least it's spacious. You know, it's got yeah. really high ceilings. Um uh, Maureen's been here. She's record obviously we've done two episodes here before. Um so without like completely bogging down the show in this, um I've got kind of a cool apartment. Like I said, I I do share it with two roommates, but our living room ceiling is actually two stories high. And I kind of think that those high ceilings might have been the main reason I stayed sane this entire time, that and having like access to the internet. I I think probably the lowest point was um my cat Pringles. She's a um she's a tuxedo cat. Both both her and Coco are black and white, but Pringles is like a proper tuxedo cat, which means that, you know, she's got black legs in the front, but she's got little white paws. Do you know how many pictures I took of my cat's <laughs> front paws just to send them to people in the middle of the night and just be like, look at how cute her paws are. They're like little white pom-poms. And it's just, like I said, I was just going insane. Could
0: a depressed person do this?
1: Honestly, yeah. it's it. You know, I, I fully... Fully understand the whole Tom Hanks and Castaway like making a ball to talk to thing. Normally this would be kind of like a this is where I remind you to get vaccinated but at the same time I was double vaccinated and I still spent two weeks indoors taking photos of my cats and watching every version of Sweeney Todd I could get my hands on. <laughs>
0: Uh, it's a perfect holiday com- comfort movie if there ever was one.
1: <laughs> you know, it does take place in like the exact same time period as A Christmas Carol. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I actually managed to get Maureen to watch the 1982 version with Angela Lansbury and George Turner the other day, <laughs> which was a little bit of a personal victory. And I think I even commented, I, I, I think I sent a text to you because my friend Anne was going to watch it the same night. And I was just like, my power, my influence. My getting extremely sick twice in thirty days. <laughs> so that was my December, <laughs> and and uh, and it really just it just turned into me just being in bed most of the time, watching various videos that I could find of the complete score of Sweeney Todd. I spent my december having like exactly two
0: days of sniffles and a sore throat before it dwindled out and a new year's day hangover but that was it
1: did you ever test positive or was it just
0: that no it was just like a regular winter cold like i always get
1: wild i mean i i tend to get i you know i've actually you know when people are just like you know ever since we started wearing masks i haven't so much as developed a cough and it's like Good for you. I get bronchitis every time we have a major temperature change.
0: <laughs> and now for something completely different, I am very Thank grateful. God, yeah, yes, I am <laughs> very grateful of the uh, Loki themed presents Megan gave me. Uh Aww, I they were. That. She gave me two different scented candles inspired by Loki uh, via Etsy, and a very cute uh, pin of Loki and Sylvie.
1: You know, I, I got, basically I got one set that I think they're like two little candles. Yes. Yes. Yeah. they're, you know, they're very specifically MCU candles. They're a, are there's a Loki scent and a Sylvie scent. And then the other one is like mythological Loki. And, um, you know, you, you messaged me when you got the mythological Loki candle, like, by the way, this is what, always exactly what I imagined him to smell like and, did did you mean like Loki in general? Did you mean <laughs> did you mean Tom Hiddleston Loki? Did you mean uh mythological Loki? Uh, a bit of both,
0: I think. Yeah, I tend to imagine You uh, just
1: really wanted to get to say that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> You know, I, I was just about to make a joke about, like, see, this is what the show is like when we don't actually have new episodes to go off of, but, you know what, this isn't nearly the worst example of that. I mean, the whole last episode was Dune. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so since it is technically still Christmas time, I thought we could take a moment to talk about the influence of Norse mythology on Christmas traditions, And how a lot of them are linked to the gods that have appeared in the MCU. Uh, Namely, that there is so much overlap between Odin and uh, what we take as Santa Claus or uh, Kris Kringle. In that original depictions of Santa Claus had him much uh, more slender, much emphasizing of like just a regular tall, thin man with a long white beard who had a magic, uh, quality to him. And, uh, it was also quite common in Norse myth for the gods to be in vehicles driven by flying animals, much like, uh, eight reindeer. And of course, Odin rode on a eight-legged horse, Sleipnir. And, uh, the origin of what we tell children happens on Christmas Eve night basically started from Odin going on the wild hunt during Yuletide
1: well I'm I'm actually I'm I I don't I'm like looking this up as we talk about this honestly which I probably should have done in preparation but um I'm trying to figure out like what exactly the the specific descent toward you know Santa Claus here is because um the thing about that is that, You know, Santa Claus, as we know him in the U.S., like, distinct from, you know, Sinterklaas and Father Christmas, I I mean, wasn't he pretty much invented for the night before Christmas? Uh, yes
0: and no. I mean, part, yes, a huge, uh, influential, influential version of him was in A Visit from St. Nicholas, but, like, I would have to say, like, the biggest turning point was in about the 1930s because of the Coca-Cola campaign. And that's when it was really the, yeah, that's when like what we imagine as Santa Claus really started as like an ad campaign.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it's mostly just, um, when I, I, the part of it that I recognize the most as like, and this isn't even just from looking at the, the aspects of like Odin going into this that I recognize the most are a lot more, like, they're a lot more Father Christmas mm-hmm. than, than necessarily, like, regular, you know, what we think of as regular Santa Claus or even the version that, you know, Clement Moore came up with.
0: Right, but also the fact that he has two ravens who always report to him, so he literally knows who's been good who's been bad. He's kind of like the all seen figure and he gives gifts to those
1: who are worthy. And he has allies with elves. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, because when I'm looking at this, like center class just doesn't really strike me as too much of a, you know, like they make the, they make the connection there, but I, I don't know if I necessarily see it as much with him as I do. It's it's almost more like, you know, Odin just established, in, or, you know, and I guess the uh, the Germanic counterpart, Vodan. I mean, I, I just, I see, I definitely see more of that with Father Christmas than uh, Sinterklaas, even though they do make the same connection there. Mm-hmm. And also,
0: uh, to get even more on track, Loki is technically the reason... Uh, why we have the eight-legged steed, which became the eight-tiny reindeer, and the reason we kiss under the mistletoe. (laughs) True. And one last connection between uh, Norse myths slash MCU characters and the winter holiday is uh, considering that he was known for riding a chariot drawn by goats, technically uh, the Norse pagans did associate uh, importance with the you'll go
1: to Thor. You know, now that you say that, and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about how the, the ghost of Christmas present is typically portrayed. And is, is there maybe a Thor connection there? Cause I'm thinking about how he's almost always like large and red bearded and stuff, which even though from an MCU perspective, you know, Oh yeah, that's a Volstag, but it's like, actually that's a Thor. <laughs> <laughs> that's those are Thor characteristics ah oh, that would be fascinating if true yeah I mean that's just that's just speculating there but I was but it just kind of hit me like oh huh now that you say that and also while we're on the topic I am just
0: absolutely delighted that the Swedes have reinvented what their pagan ancestors began and literally created a scapegoat for all of the evil spirits of the incoming years and decided okay we're just going to burn a large goat effigy in the hopes that next year will be better to keep away the bad energy
1: you know more okay you know more about um about like not neo-norse paganism but like actual ancient norse practices and stuff is that why they sacrifice goats? Because I mean, the actual term scapegoat, I mean, that does that describes like an ancient Jewish tradition.
0: Right. I mean, I'm not I can't really say for sure, but I just find it hilarious that for like 5 years was like apparently the longest time where the Yule goat in Sweden went unburned. <laughs> Because, again, it's pretty rare considering he's made out of straw. It's very easy for something to catch on fire and the whole thing to go up in flames. So, obviously, a lot of people, (laughs) I guess, have linked the five years of misfortune to the fact that the goat survived the winter. And there's been actually really high security to the point that people risk going to jail. But people, brave people out there decided it was worth the risk... They took one for the team and they set that goat on fire this Christmas and he went up and now everybody feels just a little more optimistic now because of it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe we do have a little bit of reason for optimism for the first time like in ages, considering that, you know, again, sorry to drag it back to the incredibly grim topic of COVID, but they are saying that if you're double vaxxed, that you are less likely to experience like permanent disability from this. So, you know, once again, that's, you know, the idea that this wave might, you know, kind of flow through pretty quickly and be less likely to permanently debilitate people. I mean, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, not to mention, uh, we were talking about this, uh, about a week ago, and you said that, uh, the original, uh, 1918 pandemic lasted for just about two years before, like, being manageable. And so, through that logic and time frame, technically, we are due come this spring for, like, a major dwindling down.
1: Yeah. I mean, the main thing that we really have to hope for right now, and so far this seems to be checking out, but we don't know yet. And, you know, and I don't want to get too like, you know, jumping the gun optimistic about this, but it does sound like so far, um, even among children who are too young to be vaccinated. I mean, and that's, that's the main reason we've got to really be careful right now. Um, and for that matter, even among, um, disabled people. It seems like this particular iteration of the virus isn't permanently harming people on nearly the same scale. Uh Um, So that's, that's very good, because that's always been one of the things that's been lurking in the background of this is, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to jump the gun and celebrate when it's potentially out there, you know, permanently disabling people. And so far, knock on wood, that doesn't seem to be a major risk with Omicron.
0: Yeah, and it's also just the weirdest thing, like, paying attention to the news, but also uh, having a Loki-themed podcast and always being on the lookout for, like, updates on the next season of Loki. So every time when I read a, like, oh shit, new variant just dropped, I immediately assume it's going to be, like, a new character design for a new Loki. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's that's one of the most bizarre coincidences that I think... (laughs) For, what, for this happening like that, um, especially when it's pretty obvious from the way that, they, that, you know, they're almost using the word variant so they don't use the word deviant or deviation, you know, could, but the metaphor is clearly there.
0: So, uh, the last time we recorded, a lot of new stuff has happened in the MCU. Uh, the biggest one, of course, being uh, Spider-Man No Way Home pretty much single-handedly saving the movie theater industry.
1: I did go see Encanto, which I think is probably the best mainline Disney movie that they've done in years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was yeah, that I mean, and that's the first time I'd been in a theater other than briefly popping by to visit my Rocky horror cast in November.
0: Yeah, it's kind of incredible just how like every every person I've heard talking about Encanto just absolutely loves it, like, regardless of like race, gender, belief just like it's everybody just loves this movie they love the songs And yeah, it really is incredible like they have so many different characters you're bound to identify with at least one of them.
1: And you know what the other thing about this and I it's not in a hundred percent universal but one thing that I noticed about this that I have not noticed, among a lot of Disney movies that are set, you know, in a non-Western culture, is virtually all of the response I've seen like this on Twitter and stuff from Colombian people has been overwhelmingly positive. So,
0: going back to Spider-Man, because I feel like there's a lot to talk about that can fill up uh, the rest of this episode. So, since No Way Home is about alternate timelines and universes colliding, I would like to set the scene in an alternate timeline of the early to mid-90s, back when James Cameron was involved in what was supposed to be the first Spider-Man live-action movie. So, <laughs> you'd like this, Megan. Uh, so When he uh, originally uh, had Peter Parker get bitten by the spider and just have, like, Feeling his entire body change and just go through like this huge like, am I on drugs? What the hell is happening to me? Moment he describes it in the screenplay as a David Lynch bio horror montage of Spider World. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I I think we really have to ask the question at some point of why do people keep doing this with Spider Man? Why <laughs> why is it- Why is it that every time they try to bring in some kind of, like, outside auteur influence on this, I mean, except for Sam Raimi, obviously, but that's because, I mean, this was right up Sam Raimi's alley from the beginning, but, like, I'm thinking about, like, what you're saying about James Cameron and, and Julie Taymor, I mean, most infamously, it's just every time they try to bring in, like, somebody else to, like, you know, really try to do something different with spider-man it just descends into absolute insanity and it's like why does this happen so specifically with spider-man well i mean you know this this doesn't happen with batman i'm just saying no matter how whacked out the schumacher movies got (laughs) that's i mean that was still clearly a regular batman movie on on like lsd or something but why does this happen with Spider-Man? You want to know the
0: really crazy shit is this is the toned down version we that could have been. Because like the earliest uh, screenplay when it was with a different studio, it was with two guys who absolutely knew nothing about Spider-Man. They were into like horror B-movies and they originally were going to have him wake up with eight arms like a spider. <laughs>
1: Because that's because that's really easy to play off of your, you know, realistic working class teen boy having teen boy problems.
0: Yes, because again, they knew absolutely nothing about uh, his cultural background or the context. What also makes it really interesting is that this is 90s era James Cameron we're talking about, like fresh off the Terminator. Uh, so it was going to be rated R for violence and swearing, including... Peter shouting to the villain, who is basically not Electro in this. Quote, I'll kill you, motherfucker. You hear me? You're dead, you sick bastard.
1: Marketable.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, but that's not even the craziest part. The part okay. that you knew this was 90s- R-rated, gritty, superhero stuff, this ain't your, like, daddy (laughs) Spider-Man, is at the midpoint. Uh, So it does bear mention that the Sam Raimi Spider-Man script did take bits and pieces of inspiration from uh, the 90s script. But made, like, way more
1: uh, commercial, I guess is the right word. So, the scene... I mean, I I don't know if I would necessarily call that raindrops keep falling on my head sequence commercial, but...
0: (laughs) Oh, oh, I'm not even getting
1: there. I haven't even gotten there yet. Um... (laughs) So, the scene that we got, which was... I had no idea that we were going to be doing this segment, this episode. This is (laughs) me. I know that you were like, you know, oh, hey, I want to talk about the James Cameron Spider-Man. And I was just like, cool. I had no idea what I was signing on for here. (laughs)
0: So, the scene that we got of uh, Spider-Man and uh, Mary Jane kissing for the first time upside down... uh, In this version, in this alternate timeline, uh, Spider-Man and Mary Jane, uh, have sex on top of the Brooklyn Bridge.
1: (laughs) Wow, okay, um... Oh, and since you mentioned... Have you... (laughs) I, I'm sorry I'm just laying here like you know the kid that I picked up from school I have to pick him up near the Brooklyn Bridge and so naturally I was like literally looking at that a couple of hours ago and I'm just you, you know I'm sorry to quote Austin Powers the the physics alone are mind boggling <laughs> I'm just I, I'm trying to think you, James Cameron do you know how visible that would be <laughs> You can't just, you can't just take somebody up there and like make yourself a little love hammock on the Brooklyn Bridge. And I mean, you, I mean, you understand that the last time somebody climbed up that thing unauthorized, it was national news, right? <laughs> and
0: apparently, uh, so oh, another thing,
1: I, I am appalled. <laughs> I don't know how to react to this. Now it does
0: uh, bear mentioning that the fact that in uh, the Sam Raimi version, uh, Peter's webs come out of him biologically, that was taken directly from the Cameron version. Right. And uh, they really, really lean into getting bitten by a spider as a puberty metaphor, where Peter wakes up the day after he gets bitten and he is just covered in, like, white goo that came from his body.
1: You're really enjoying getting to say this out loud. <laughs> I am just relishing the fact that this
0: would never, ever fly in a modern-day studio system pitch.
1: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I, I'm i gonna be honest with you. I haven't even seen any of the MCU spider man just because... God, Spiderman. Spider-Man. <laughs> I didn't even realize I'd said it like Or Spider-Man's <laughs> Spider's man yeah. and, well no, no Spider Spider's man is is that's uh, that's the the most horrifying character that I I if they put this in the next Spider-Verse movie. I, I part of me is almost just like, ha do it, fuckers. But this, <laughs> this is just the most disturbing alternate universe iteration of Spider-Man. And that is that it, it's it I, I don't know exactly how this happened and I know that it happened under circumstances where they it was like before they were uplifted. So it was a completely non malicious thing to do, but apparently in this other universe, um, Peter Parker actually died because a horde of carnivorous spiders ate him, but his consciousness was transferred into all of them. Oh, Jesus so, Christ. Spiders, so Spider's Man is several thousand spiders in a Spider-Man suit that thinks they're Peter Parker. Who wrote that? How did it get greenlit? I mean, the thing is, is that as far as I know, Spider's Man never had, like, their own separate... I, I don't even know what pronoun to use <laughs> Um, As far as I know, there was never, like, a Spider's Man book or anything like that. I think that it was just as they started doing, like, wilder and wilder alternate universe spider people that that was just, like, the most horrifying... <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's the most distressing option they possibly could have brought up.
0: yeah. So, Cameron, uh, wrote a, like, mini-script treatment for, uh, Co, which went under. And the rights to Spider-Man floated around until Sony acquired them in 1998. But, uh, by that time, Cameron had, uh, found work elsewhere. But this is the last really, really neat thing. Well, two last neat things. Number one, (laughs) uh, and keep in mind, this is before Batman and Robin, Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was rumored to have had a, uh, bit teaser as Doc Ock. I,
1: I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, the Elmo meme that's going around right now, just, of course.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but this is my favorite, favorite bit of trivia. So, in the alternate universe of 1995, when they were uh, looking around for casting Peter Parker, there was a then about 19, 20-year-old actor uh, who James really, really liked. He thought, he's perfect for the part. I need to have him as Peter. And apparently, like, if the film was, like, greenlit and went just a little further in production, then he would have officially, like, have had his name attached to it. But since uh, the plot, since uh Since the movie, uh, planning fell through, that obviously didn't happen, but James Cameron said, like, look, this is, this kid has charisma to spare, that kid's gonna be a star, so I need to have, like, his name on, like, my Rolodex, and that boy's name was Leonardo DiCaprio.
1: You know, I was kind of starting to think that that was where this was going. Like, the more I was thinking about it, the more I was just like, okay, in that era, it's gotta have been Leo. <laughs>
0: yeah. So I just find it really humorous that the reason Leo's career ended up as it did was because he was in Titanic instead of Spider-Man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, spec- the thing is, is that, you know, had, knowing the way James Cameron works, he probably would have been in both of them. <laughs> And that's the thing, is like for like I mean that was also a James Cameron movie. It oh, probably yeah. would have yeah, I mean Titanic was so I mean clearly that's why he was in his Rolodex.
0: <laughs> yes, and it's also really humorous knowing that uh Toby McGuire is like childhood friends with Leo.
1: Well, and for that matter, then they were both in the Great Gatsby.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why in like the next uh, into the Spider-Verse movie, I would just I really want to see even if it's just for like a voice acting role, I would kill to see Leo as an alternate universe Spider-Man.
1: See, this is this is where this is where you and I are different because you're just like, "Oh yeah, I want to like nod to this little bit of Hollywood history that didn't happen." And I'm over here just like, "What if they included the one that's just literally a bunch of spiders in <laughs> This is how our minds work ladies and gentlemen.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Once again, she spent the last month doing like holiday things and even when she was, you know, indoors for part of it because of like canceled parties or whatever, she was like working on, you know, cosplays and 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 you know and writing a musical for TikTok and <laughs> I was just watching multiple versions of Sweeney Todd. Ah. <laughs> uh... Now, to bring this back
0: uh, a little more centering with uh, the Loki show, uh, watching this, uh, really you could really feel like the influence of the Loki series on No Way Home, because you can clearly tell it takes place after Sylvie unleashed the multiverse, because we're just seeing at the end when we see like the whole sky open up and we get this, like, everything's, like, very dark purple now, and we get to see, like, the cosmos, and it looks, like, nearly identical to, like, the branch off in episode six.
1: I mean, and for that matter, they've been releasing some, and you'll have to excuse me, really ridiculous, um, alternate universe Doctor Strange posters at this point for that one. Although, you know what, on the other hand... They got Sam Raimi back for that one, so I'm hoping we get real weird with it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I want them to get so weird with it, I will be
0: severely disappointed if we don't have Doctor Strange fighting stop-motion animated skeletons. <laughs> because what will have been the goddamn point if that doesn't happen? I paid to see my stop-motion animated skeletons because that is what Raimi does best.
1: You know, I, I think my favorite part of this is that when i when they actually put out an incredibly awkward promo photo of one of the alternate universe dr strange's i sent this to a t- to a twitter mutual of mine who is very, you know, dr strange is is his favorite mcu character and i sent it to him and he just immediately responded, "oh god, why does he look like that?" <laughs> 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 and you know, and at this point i i know this is you know, I know that I'm literally saying this on a Loki show, but at this point, you know, as I've mentioned before, I am so disengaged from this franchise at this point, except for Thor and Thor accessories. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, at, at this point, I'm just, I I just, it's a buffet for me, and I keep going back to the Thor stuff. <laughs> But sometimes I'll have to sit, but sometimes I'll walk by a tray of something that looks really fucked up and I'll just have to take a picture of it and send it to somebody and be like, they make your favorite dish really fucked (laughs) up. And I'll be like, why did they do that?
0: Yeah, even though uh, the Thor movies and Loki in particular are still my favorite aspects of the MCU, I try to like be a little more uh, open minded uh, of the MCU in general, just to, like, bring balance to, like, our banter. So that whenever there is <laughs> a new, like, headline, i like, oh, I have my finger on the pulse. But, um... Oh,
1: no, I mean, it, it's, I mean, for one thing, I, I've joked several times on our Twitter and, like, it hasn't happened this episode so much, I don't think, but I've joked a few times on my Twitter that y- you would not believe how much me just talking about other movies maureen has to edit out of this show and unfortunately (laughs) a lot of the time they're really weird pretentious movies for me to be talking about in this context i always like to joke that like it's the worst of both worlds (laughs) it's an mcu show and i'm i'm here providing like my film bro commentary i don't know uh
0: So yeah, the last major plot point I want to talk about regarding No Way Home is uh, that so much of the story hinges on uh, Spider-Man being able to, I guess, cure uh, all the villains that came through and tell them that you don't have to be evil, that since this is the multiverse, you can be anything you want to be. And I get what they were trying to do. But I feel like that storyline was just done so much better in Loki than in No Way Home. Because that's, like, six episodes of him going through, like, an extremely personal arc. And here it's just, like, a a two-and-a-half-hour movie where we have, like, five villains to, like, sort through all their personal baggage. And it just comes across as well-meaning but just very reductive. Especially right down, like, in particular in Doc Ock's case, it's literally as easy as flipping a switch... It's like that one Simpsons. Well, I mean,
1: and for that matter, for that matter, I mean, not only do they make it that easy, but it's also, I mean, wasn't it kind of a plot point? I mean, it's been ages since I've seen Spider-Man 2, like the second Raimi movie, but wasn't it an entire plot point in that movie that it, like, we knew from the start that it was because something with the tentacles wasn't good for him? Yeah, no, that's true. It's just seeing that... <sighs>
0: Just seeing that play out in the movie just got me thinking of that one scene from uh, the Simpsons Halloween special with when the, with the evil Krusty doll and said, ah, here's your problem. The switch is set to evil.
1: Well, I know, but at the same time, it's, I mean, I'm, I completely agree with you on this, but I'm also just kind of like, also the whole free will thing is a very strange thing to do when it's somebody that you know is being actually like corrupted by an outside source. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my point. I mean, I, like I said, I don't, I don't even know if I'm ever going to see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. But it, since... it, it's just, it's an odd, it seems like an odd choice to make when, like, especially to have that much drama building up to it when that was kind of the impression that I already got was that if you could somehow figure out how to flip that switch, it would probably be okay. Okay.
0: Yeah, but since this takes place, uh, when the TVA just does not have the same, uh, stranglehold over the multiverse as they do, uh, we don't get to see the villains basically see their entire, like, lives play out and realize that they're doomed to die in vain. Like, someone literally has to tell them, oh, if you go back to your, like, your original timelines, you're gonna die, and you're doomed to, like, be evil no matter what, and there's basically no hope for you, Except for, like, one uh, teenage boy who sees that everyone can be improved for the better. But, like, none of the villains has really given, like, a complete satisfactory redemption arc, as it seems. None of them really seem to want to change their behavior. And so much of the change that they do go through basically amounts to them being declawed as villains. And uh, robbed of their superpowers. And, uh like it just like taking their powers away doesn't really destroy the source of their inner instability and i just felt like this could have been done so much better and because i know that's been done better with loki
1: well and then of course and i and i could tell from your phrasing that it was because you wanted to send me off on this tangent oh Oh boy (laughs) yeah and then comes the other fact that like i said i haven't seen this but you know i read a plot summary and um well there's there's no easy way to say this but i don't understand how somebody could have been going off and telling the lizard that if he went back he was going to die too because um i hi i the lizard doesn't die in the amazing spider-man
0: no, Megan actually made a uh, viral post, I believe, <laughs> explaining that.
1: Okay, look, look. Around the time that that movie came out, I I had two friends that latched onto him very, very hard. <laughs> As and God, I don't even know how to begin with this. I, how do I go? Back? I mean, okay, you know what? Come to think of it, because I haven't seen this, what the hell is the Sandman situation? <laughs> Because it just hit me. I haven't heard anybody say anything about the Sandman in this movie.
0: Well, that's because he contributes the least to the overall conflict. I mean, he's really just there taking up space and sand.
1: <laughs> but, like, he he didn't die, and for that matter, you know, the lizard doesn't die in The Amazing Spider-Man, either.
0: No, he just goes back to being a sad, divorced dad. Uh,
1: yes, exactly. It's...
0: And Electro, he also knows that he doesn't die in his world. He just goes back to be an incel, and that enough is motivation for him to stay and cause havoc.
1: It's it's just... I mean, he, here's the thing. If you go back and you watch The Amazing Spider-Man, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm about to reveal myself as one of only three people on the internet that care this much <laughs> about this version of the character, and I had a falling out with the other two a couple years ago. So here we are, but um, the thing is, is that the the entire lizard arc <laughs> in the Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man, it it's it's honestly even more like even more blatantly than you normally get in superhero movies. It is quite honestly just a drug metaphor, <laughs> and so it's and so you know. I, I've I've seen people, like, reconciling it by being, like, well, you know, he probably was just, just like, afraid of, the, of his, like, Connor's persona taking over again, which would be, like, a metaphorical death of the lizard, and it's just, like, you know, I, I ended up going viral on Twitter a while ago because I made this just very bad edit, honestly, like, just, I just found a picture of an iguana that looked like it was shouting, and I just <laughs> captioned it, like, like, no, I don't want to go back to being a sad divorced man. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, I know that that's not the entire, like, that's not even the motivation there. I mean, a lot of the motivation is that, is, you know, he's, he's missing his arm, one arm. And, you know, and, and there's an entire plot point that like he is really desperately trying to figure out how to like regenerate limbs on people. And he actually only tests it on himself because his funding to continue refining it has been cut. And he doesn't want to test this unknowingly on like soldiers and stuff that have volunteered because that's how you get the plot of Iron Man (laughs) three. But, but it really just, it does just turn into a, a, drug metaphor and a lot of this is because at the same time I I I'm sorry somebody if somebody wants to correct me on this they absolutely can but I have never in film or in real life ever encountered anybody who is quite so hung up on what is clearly a serious disability like I don't want to downplay the disability involved in losing your arm but this man acts like he has been very badly disfigured by it as well. Last night, uh, when I was
0: watching Sweetie Todd, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Megan <laughs> sent me uh, a picture of him saying, uh, "At last, uh, my arm is complete oh, no, I, again." I didn't.
1: It, it wasn't. It wasn't him. It right. was. It was Midnighter. The, okay. The DC character holding a crowbar.
0: With the caption, at last, my arm is complete again, and I immediately texted Kurt Connors'
1: quotes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that would actually make, like, a good, you know, like, con con drawing, I guess you could say. Oh my god. A or something. A brilliant
0: idea for a cosplay group at the next con. Uh, Kurt Connors, Bucky Barnes, Luke Skywalker, Jamie Lannister.
1: (laughs) You know, it's funny that you bring up Jamie Lannister in this context, though, because I was just thinking about About how, you know, there you have a character where when he lost a hand, it made sense that it was that much of a blow to him, like his entire concept of himself, because, you know, he was a swordsman, that was his sword arm, that was how he defined himself, you know, and it's just, but at the same time, it still was completely focused on the idea of like, what am I without this ability, That I have completely defined myself by, whereas, like I said, I, it's just, it, it, the thing about The Amazing Spider-Man as a movie when it's handling this plot is that it goes so, so far out of its way to make sure that you don't interpret this as like an evil cripple trope situation because the thing is is that there's there's none of that going on and like and when he's himself when he's not completely fucked up on lizard juice <laughs> <laughs> you know he's he's an emphatically sympathetic character but at the same time they they go so far into trying to be like you know it's it's really in his head there's nothing wrong with him missing this you know and it certainly is not like an outward show of anything wrong with him it's just that he's internalized the idea that it must be that it almost ends up cycling around from you know the evil cripple trope to the idea of being physically disabled is not a reflection on your stability or your moral character but who boy bodily dysmorphia am i right folks <laughs> the most baffling and, and and to be honest, I feel like they've never entirely known what to do with this character in the comics. Anyway, I mean, it's just, anyway, the point of all of this is that it's, is that as soon as I was reading about this, it was very funny to find out that it's portrayed pretty much the same for him. (laughs) Whereas in the actual ending of the amazing Spider-Man, and I guess this, you know, other curtailed timeline, not only does he immediately surrender once he turns back because he's absolutely devastated by what he's done, but, like, they even have in the after-credits scene that ultimately didn't quite go anywhere. I mean, somebody else shows up to basically threaten him for information about Peter, and he's just like, you stay away from that boy, and he, like, refuses to do anything that can hurt this kid. And it's just like, all right, so we're just gonna, okay, You know, as my friend Ann put it, everybody else is, is, you know, was taken away seconds from just getting murked. And meanwhile, you know, he's probably going to, you know, get put in the witness protection program for good behavior. And it's like, yeah, basically. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh. Just
0: just the saddest fucking guy. One last unexpected major benefit to No Way Home is that... I am so happy it has finally put to bed the topic of, like, uh, relationships between variants. Because I have seen so many girls ship, uh, McGuire Maguire Peter and Andrew Garfield Peter. And <laughs> you know what? If you're okay with that ship, you can be okay with Loki and Sylvie, since it's pretty much the same goddamn thing. I mean,
1: you know... You say that, and the thing is, is that since you said that, I've definitely started seeing people complaining about it as being the same thing. So, unfortunately, we're not over that... We're, we're not quite over that hill yet. <laughs> but I've actually... If anything, I've started seeing an uptick in, like, Jesus Christ, you people are as bad as the Silky Shippers. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> and, you know... <laughs> And, and you have to understand, like, you know, my biggest ongoing fandom is, is the terror. And, like, you wouldn't believe the fucked up shit people write in that fandom. So, I'm just... So, a lot of this is just, you know, I... I you just have to imagine me just slowly lowering my newspaper and just being like, oh, what are they talking about in that apartment now? <laughs> That's what a lot of this feels like.
0: <laughs> What's hilarious is, uh... One of my friends remarked upon seeing uh, the scene of Toby and Andrew, or like uh... So one of my friends remarked upon the scene where uh, Andrew Peter helps Toby Peter with his back problems. He like whispered to me, "This is how every gay porn starts." <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean you know and and just to cycle back a little bit i on unlike on, the other side of things but did did you notice did you notice that like in a completely like pg rated i wouldn't say particularly filthy way but did did you notice the part in Encanto where it gets gets away with like a very mild incest joke oh Oh, Bruno's little little rat novellas. Rat oh! Novellas, when he has the whole thing about, like, you know, well, they can't be together because that's actually his aunt.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whatever that
1: is. And while I personally think that was kind of clever, and I've even seen, you know, other stuff without even actually intending for that to be the focus of the joke, I you know, I saw a very cute comic about him, you know, about him like now that he's back with the family. Bruno actually getting them together and getting um little Antonio to translate the lines <laughs> as the rest <laughs> act out the act out these little soap operas. And he just well he's saying that they're she's saying that she now knows the reason that they couldn't be together it's because they were twins separated at birth and everybody's like, Oh my God. And it's not even treated as like a, as like, you know, Jesus, it was incest the whole time. It's just, everybody's like, Oh no, (laughs) love will never be. And I, and it's so funny because I think every, if anything, again, I've noticed that there's an interesting contrast between people who come from cultures that have telenovelas being like, yeah, this is pretty much exactly what it's like." Versus, like, you know, white teenagers in the U.S. being like, well, I don't know if this was intended as a fuck you to the creepy shippers, but that's how I'm going to take it. Uh, <laughs> just...
0: Speaking of white teenagers, I have seen so many people uh, assume that Andrew, uh, Andrew's version of Peter is specifically bisexual because he says goodbye to Toby Peter by giving away the peace sign.
1: I mean that might be completely intentional on Andrew Garfield's part. Oh like, no,
0: I absolutely love that and believe that. Yeah, no,
1: I mean, I, I the thing is, is that you know Andrew Garfield for one thing has is noticeably cagey about um, declaring his own orientation. Which, to be honest, you know what? Good for him. Yeah. He doesn't have to say anything more than that. And you know, and he, and I mean, you know, I feel like once you've been in Angels in America. And like, it's like, it's like he he has the credentials for this. Yeah. And I, and I think it's completely intentional. I know. I just, I would
0: love to see, I want to see him return just so we can have scenes of Peter just like sitting very improperly in a chair. (laughs) That's how you will know officially.
1: (laughs) You know, I, I I'm having one of those moments again of just being like I don't think that's because you're queer <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's because you're neurodivergent in some way uh. <laughs> like do you know how many alleged queer tells I'm reading and I'm just like have you had yourself assessed for autism yet? <laughs> Like, everything about, like, you know, okay, I either have to have my sleeves rolled halfway up my arm, or I have to have sweater paws, or I'm physically uncomfortable, and I'm like... (laughs) And I'm just sitting there like, honey, that's not because you're bi. Megan, (laughs) I am wearing sweater paws right now as we speak. (laughs) Well, I mean... I I mean, I don't... I don't know, you know... the obvious disclaimer here is, just because you like those things like that doesn't necessarily mean you're autistic. But some of this is described so rigidly in terms of like, this is the only way I can be physically comfortable, and I'm pretty sure it's because I'm bisexual. And I'm just like, I I I don't think, I know that's <laughs> and meanwhile not... I am the little girl in the taco commercial. Porque no los dos? Well, no, exactly. I mean, that's you know, I certainly don't want to rule that out, but. <laughs> You know, you can be both. It's more just, you. even if you have both of these things going on, you do this thing not because of one of
0: these. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, one last thing I'd like to bring up uh, about No Way Home before we say like our final thoughts is... I don't know if it would have been better, but it would have been far more comically entertaining if the way that, uh, the Spider-Man villains got cured was rather than go through, like, (laughs) uh, switches and, like, uh, going over their behavioral tics, they simply met a female version of themselves from another (laughs) dimension.
1: Like, I would love to see,
0: like, Lady Green Goblin. I would love to see, like, Electro... No, they already have Electra, but, like, Lady Electro, uh, Lady Lizard would be so great. I mean...
1: Okay, I mean, but we've already seen... We've already seen a female Doc Ock, and she is, if anything, more control of herself and worse. (laughs) Yes,
0: she is the I-can-make-him-worse meme.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What was that... Yeah, come to think of it, this thing that because of the Sweeney Todd deep dive (laughs) that everybody's been sending me the last uh, the last couple of days, I guess one of the one of those uh, one of the um, the like fake comedy news sites or something. It wasn't the Onion. It might have been. I think it was the Reductress. I think it might have been Reductress, but the one that's been going around right now is. I can fix him, says woman who is worse. <laughs> and um, everybody has been sending that to me lately because that is that is largely the plot of Sweeney Todd. <laughs> that is that is exactly Mrs. Lovett's arc in Sweeney Todd. Um, but, you know, for that matter, come to think of it, though, w- wouldn't the existence of a female b- lizard just... Make him sad and angry. Considering the extreme degree of dysphoria we're talking about here. But wasn't his plan to make everyone
0: like a lizard? So he'd be happy that she's on board with that.
1: See, I think I was thinking like, you know, oh, female Kurt Connors to talk him out of (laughs) it. As opposed to to female lizard.
0: Well, you know... I don't know if they've ever gone that route in the comics, but I am betting you anything that if they did have a variant of like a female lizard, she would inexplicably have scaled boobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus because
1: Christ. Because in well, Marvel I mean, Comics. Okay, you, know, you know what? <laughs> yeah. I do know that there was a point. I. I do know that there was a point where he actually managed to turn his wife and son into lizards too.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, but like it's it, just let it, me
1: see. Let me see. Did, did the Martha lizard have boobs?
0: It's just a rule of comic books. If there is a female character who's an adult but still like a non-human character, you know she what? has to have boobs. She
1: actually, was not all that busty. She was actually a bit less busty than she seemed to be in human form. Hmm. <laughs> Um, She was a bit more humanoid, but at the same time, they were clearly going for, like, the grotesque factor of having this extremely, you know, this scaly, kind of scrawny-looking, you know, humanoid creature with, you know, human hair, but wearing, like, you know, a polo shirt and jeans and an apron, but also, like, having this horrible grimacing lizard face. <laughs> like... <laughs> and she yeah there's like only a vague suggestion she has more of a suggestion of like pectorals (laughs) i'm looking at this and like for that matter when their son you know he was similarly like a humanoid lizard as opposed to what was going on with yeah so i i guess in conclusion maybe no lizard boobs i don't know (laughs)
0: Well, how do we start a conversation topic after Lizard Poops? <laughs> you know what? You were the
1: one who brought this up.
0: <laughs> Fair. So I
1: guess we're gonna edit around here, folks. Yeah. Oh my god. This is this is the most unhinged... E- Actually, no. <laughs> it's not the most unhinged episode we've had so far. That was probably the Dune episode.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know what, honestly, looking at this, I I have to say that like at no p- even when even when she is like in official art, even when Martha Lizard does have a little bit more of a chest, it's it's because she's still more humanoid. But you know what, so is their son. And it's not exactly like she's got rock and lizard tits or anything. It's, oh my god, her name is Martha too. Yes. Look, it was the sixties. I'm I... just
0: trying to imagine Ben Affleck just try- referring to her when he says "Save
1: Martha." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in in fairness, I don't even think that this would be likely to happen in the Amazing Spider-Man timeline, considering that like they were actually divorced because you know her husband was constantly. In like a state of actual mourning about losing his arm, which you know I can't imagine is particularly good for a relationship. You know, Um,
0: anyway. Uh, You know, now I am shocked that there has been like a streaming original series of like a marriage counselor for super villains.
1: Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I feel like that is only a matter of time before becoming a real thing
1: you know you, you mentioned you know a, a lady green goblin and it's just once again I, I can't imagine I really can't imagine that going in a Sylvie direction there because it's just like it is, isn't the default state of being a green goblin being extremely fucked up <laughs>
0: yes I'm just trying to imagine of, like, because, yeah, we don't really have a lot of female characters with split personalities like that in pop
1: culture. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the Green Goblin, it, it, it's what happens when a guy's kind of weird. <laughs> I am so unfocused right now, I'm so sorry. It's
0: okay, it's okay. Yeah, I think I think this is nature's way of telling us to wrap things up, but... Yeah,
1: because I, I know that you wanted to, that you, like, tried to make the, the, the Sylvie proposition here, but just, I just don't know if that would necessarily hold.
0: Oh, I know, <laughs> I'm just uh, saying it would be great to, like, see it play out.
1: <laughs> and, like did you see
0: it play out as like those Bugs Bunny cartoons were ended with like the villain seeing like a female a duplicate of himself saunter across str- saunter across the screen, saxophone music starts playing, and they just like hover and float above air, and suddenly they're not the bad guy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> So, folks, we will try to, uh, record our next episode with a bit shorter in between time than last time.
1: Yeah, I mean, we still need to watch Thor Ragnarok. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Although by the time we finally do our Thor Ragnarok episode, it might be release time for Love and Thunder.
1: <laughs> it's just, it. who knows, who knows. <laughs> I have no idea what we're doing on this show anymore. <laughs> this is what happens when you decide to start a podcast around something with only six episodes, and but you don't have an entire like listening economy based entirely on raging about tiny, tiny detail changes.
0: But then again, this is what happens when you also have very little financial motivation to do so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just... Today I saw that apparently there's somebody who does a Star Wars video essay after show thing who is apparently incensed because mind you I haven't seen this yet but I guess there's an episode like they include um they include a direct shout out to or I guess it's I guess it's that like while he's healing from the Sarlacc they have Boba Fett like having a nightmare about watching his father killed in front of him Mm -hmm. and they actually use the raw footage from um, Attack of the Clones of that that shot of him as a little boy picking up his father's helmet and pressing his his forehead to it And anyway, apparently there's this Star Wars uh, video essayist who just made this whole thing about, like, this is a fucking joke and so is Disney and they don't care about you. And it took me a moment to even figure out what they were talking about until I finally looked at, like, the two screenshots. And I finally, I realized that this guy is this mad because there's not a gigantic dead, like, rhino alien thing in the background because they digitally added that in post-production for Attack of the Clones and because they're using the actual... (laughs) Any of that? We We, have these things called outside lives outside of our fandoms. We have yes, we have outside lives, and when we do talk about this, we just have these borderline Seinfeld conversations about (laughs) lizard tits. Yes,
0: and that's where we ended tonight's episode.
1: (laughs) We're uh, welcome, welcome to twenty twenty two, guys. Lizard tits.
0: Yep. Hope your twenty (laughs) twenty two manifests all your dreams and lizard's tits
1: and uh hopefully by you know hopefully within a few months we'll only be wearing masks on like public transit and shit that would be nice yep and if we ever do it'll
0: be thanked people who burned the goat
1: <laughs> good night everybody good night